everyone, it's Alice here with another episode of Poetry Says for you. Thanks so much for downloading and for tuning in. Today I get to share with you an interview I did last Thursday on March the 19th with Michael Farrell. I'm so, so excited to share this with you. Michael Farrell is someone that I have been wanting to interview on Poetry Says for a very long time. And like with the vast majority of my interviewees, I'm sure you can predict what I'm going to say. It just took me a little while to feel like I was ready to have this chat. I'm so glad I got over myself and actually set up the discussion and I'm so glad it went ahead. I think that if I had set up this interview for this coming Thursday, we would not have done it the way that we did. We met in Fitzroy, we went to a park, we sat under a tree and we talked for about an hour about a huge range of things. So I want to have a go at introducing who Michael Farrell is if you are a listener who doesn't know him or his work all that well. So Michael's books include Ode Ode, Them Park, Open Sesame, I Love Poetry, which won the 2018 Queensland Literary Award for Poetry, and Family Trees, which was to be launched across Australia over the next month or so and is available online. He's also behind the anthology Ashbury Mode, which was originally what we got together to discuss, but I ended up asking a bunch of other questions. Ashbury Mode is out from Tinfish. It's the result of over a decade's worth of thinking and collecting poems that are in response to the work of John Ashbury. But I think just listing Michael's publications doesn't really give you a sense of the scope of what he does in Australian poetry. There's a moment in this interview where Michael jokingly says to me, you're an influencer, Alice. And it's just funny because I think that that's, I mean, if we're going to use that word, I think we could use it to describe Michael Farrell. I think he is a force that as Australian poets, we all reckon with. We all reckon with his work. And also we are all supported by his generosity as an editor, as an event organizer, as somebody who is just at everything. He attends everything that happens in Melbourne and probably a whole bunch of other stuff that happens elsewhere. I've definitely had the sense listening to him read that I was listening to somebody whose work we were going to be thinking about and talking about for a long, long time to come. And on top of all that, he's just a very funny person and he loves to laugh, as you will hear in this interview. And yeah, it was just a a real pleasure to sit down with him and have this chat. I hope that listening to it, it's a little moment of light and pleasure in your day. I know that for my own part, I'm feeling pretty defeated at the moment. Um, pretty overwhelmed, pretty shocked. I just read this great piece on the New Yorker this morning that is talking about the effect of the pandemic on performing artists. And uh, I love this paragraph where the writer says, online chatter about watching television and cooking beans is not helping. And (laughs) goes on to quote the woman she's interviewing who says, I can't concentrate. I haven't settled into watching shows and reading my books and catching up on things. 
I know that everyone's in shock and trying to make the best of it and deal with it, but the whole notion of a staycation feels super offensive to me. So yeah, I just wanted to share that in case, like me, you're feeling this, uh, along with everything else, just a sort of a bit of a growing frustration. And um, uh, this, I don't know, I feel like there's an expectation that we're all meant to snap into oh, it's okay, everything's online now, like, I'm not ready for that, I need, I need, like, some time to mourn, basically, so, yeah, that's where I'm at, but, um, you'll be happy to know that the majority of this interview is not about pandemic panic, it is about a whole range of things, we start off by talking about pop music, because pop music actually plays a pretty big role in Michael's work, we talk about the role of humor as well and the reception of his work. Does it matter whether the audience gets the jokes? We talk about whether Michael feels welcome now in the house of poetry, which he reframes as the swimming pool of poetry, which I really, really love. And what the scene is like now as opposed to when he first moved to Melbourne. And towards the end of the discussion, we talk about what it took to bring together Ashbury Mode. And also we go into a pretty in-depth discussion about the actual process behind writing his poems. And I was fascinated by this because there are some tools that he uses that I would never have picked up on or known about from reading his work. But yeah, just again, underscored to me just how vital fun and pleasure and humor seem to be to Michael Farrell's work. So yeah, I'm really, really grateful that I got to have this chat with Michael and I hope that you enjoy it. Do seek out those books, particularly Family Trees, which is missing its launch at the moment, and also Ashbury Mode out from Tinfish. Yeah, enjoy this chat with Michael Farrell. Thanks for listening. come out of reclusion to do this interview. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> What's your last couple of days been like? I've been feeling kind of like a split between actually feeling fine mood-wise but also feeling crazy. Yeah, same. Yeah, I find myself feeling normal. And then just having random like crying jags. I'm just like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Not seeing anyone or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like being, yeah. Well, it's just boring. Everyone knows what it feels like. Yeah. I suppose. I, I guess. Yeah, I guess everyone does. Except people who are going to work. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they have a whole different set of feelings. And yeah. Um, I am someone who basically avoids all news all the time, but I've caught myself in the last couple of days actually creeping onto ABC website or reading, you know, I allow myself little bits of the New Yorker sometimes because it's like news, but it's a bit older. (laughs) Um, And I was wondering what your relationship with the news is like. Is it... Is it part of your daily routine to check what's happening in the world? No, only at, like now when there's like a 
peak crisis, but I am. I'm mostly led to news by Twitter. Like I click on Twitter trends that yeah. take me to news all the time. So yeah. some of that is not very important. Mm. And some of it is. <laughs> you often don't know until you click. Well, this is the thing. It's like, why is Katy Perry trending? Oh. And then you're like, oh, she's pregnant. Okay. Um, actually, that brings me straight to my next question. I wanted to ask you about pop music because I know uh, from reading I Love Poetry and, and doing a little reading group around that we gradually started to figure out that there was quite a bit of um, present day pop music kind of interwoven into the poems in the book uh, and I'm really grateful because uh, one of the titles of the poems dragged me down led me to one of the best One Direction songs I've ever come across No, it's a, it's a great I think that and Night Changes are, for me, they're the... What's Night Changes? Who does that? Is that One Direction as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard it. I've got to go home and listen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I, do... There's a pop song I like. It just gets... Uh, especially if it's got a, some... If there's something about the title... Or the, the, or the way that the title functions within the song. Or the way it frames the song... Uh, gets in my head. Yeah. Um, that's that's a big part of. It's increase even increasingly like it. Like in Ode Ode, I was kind of like making these poems out of that were kind of like electronic songs and kind of. Um, I've always been sort of like interested in the in music genres, pop music genres, and their practices, but. Um, Increasingly, I kind of like. I'm sort of like giving the songs more and more power mm. over me, or something like that, and making the poem kind of like be the submissive participant, or something <laughs> like that. Submissive to the pop song. That's yeah. Well, the the I don't know. This is like the vaguely. This is the way that I'm thinking about it, and um, like yeah, poems I'm writing very recently that aren't in my new book, for example, like, even more so. They're kind of like... Because, like, in like, I Love Poetry, there's things where the sort of, like, a band becomes an actor or a character in itself or, uh, like, ACDC or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, increasingly, there's sort of, like, songs themselves become actors. Yeah, that's so cool. But, I'm, you know, I'm glad... You, I mean, I noticed you said present day and you referred to One Direction, but... A lot of the things that I've been doing recently are feel like uh, songs of my generation. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I just found I found that fascinating. I mean, yeah, it's one thing to write a poem that includes ACDC. It's another to write a One Direction poem, I guess. Um, and like, both are such interesting, like, fascinating things to do. This so yeah. There's such an incredible sense of like cheekiness and fun in your work, and um, I I wonder about like, do you sometimes like how how do you what do you think about how they're received? Do you want people to 
get all the jokes? Does it matter? Because there are a lot of jokes in there. Yeah, well, I can't do anything about that really, um, unless we had a explain the jokes podcast episode and. <laughs> Uh, Everybody wants that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I like, I mean, the joke, there's different kinds of jokes, different categories, I suppose, and yeah. so, and they function in different ways, and sometimes I, myself, get them belatedly, or yeah. whatever. You know, um, yeah, like when you're reading, the audience will respond in a way that you weren't expecting? Well, no, just more my rereading, I suppose. Yeah, okay. Um... Although I guess maybe I mean that is another that is another um, yeah you never know when the laughs are going to come mm. even if there's a kind of predictable place where a couple of audiences will laugh then the third one won't or whatever yeah. you know yeah that's that's really interesting and yeah if you're yeah I don't know. I don't know. It's like, you know. I mean, it's a cultural capital thing in a sense, but it's also just like um, yeah, like other people read lots of things, or other people listen to lots of pop music or whatever. But everyone has a different mm. combination of those things. Yeah. So. Yeah. So depending on who's in the room. Or who the reader is, there's going to be a different response. Yeah. What was the original question? <laughs> I was. I guess I'm interested in whether the way your work is received is oh. something that you think about a lot, oh. or whether you are just kind of more concerned with making the work. I mean, I guess it's not either or, but no. But I mean, there's something about, I suppose. There's something I suppose about, you know, it sounds a bit academic or something, speaking to the field in a sense of like, not necessarily speaking with the dead, um, but not necessarily speaking with the living either. <laughs> so, um, I don't know, partly it comes, partly it's just like, you're just immersed in it and whatever comes out, comes out, really. Yeah. And part of it is just sheer perversity and crankiness. Perversity and crankiness. I wonder about immersion too, because I feel like there is such a wealth of material in every single one of your poems, let alone a collection of yours. And I wonder where that material, like how it's gathered and how you if there's a sorting process, if it's if it's a gradual, like, cumulative thing, um, how, much, how much gets axed, because there's a real, like, sense of, you know, inclusion, including everything as potential poetic fodder. Yes. Um, well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of poems do get axed, and so they're the ones, I suppose, that You know, that didn't, in the end, when you threw everything in the fridge into it, didn't taste that good in the end yeah, or, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe tasted okay when it was first made, but not so good. I'm sure. <laughs> Later on. On reflection. 
Yeah. Um, I suppose at the moment there's kind of, and I've been through different phases, but at the moment it's sort of like typical for me to write a poem every 10 days to two weeks or something. So in that time, there's always going to be a current accumulation of reading that's sort of like waiting to be tapped in some way. And of mm. course, I've forgotten most of it in that time and there's no way that I'm... Yeah, I mean, I'm not reflecting on the books that I've read in the last two weeks or anything like that, but... Um, there's kind of like chunks of of whatever from whatever direction from that last two weeks mm. um, being tied up with some something current that's making it happen right at that moment um, but then there's sort of like things you know like I wanted to write a Dancing Queen poem for years and uh-huh. I, I just thought God no there's you know, it's just too good. No one can actually do it. Yeah. No, no one can cover it or yeah. anything, you know. Yep. Um, and I did have a crack at it a few weeks ago. Um, so we'll see if it gets axed or not. It's oh, really exciting. There are those like subjects and yeah, sources of inspiration, I guess, that sort of feels off limits because it's like, well, I can't, can't go near that. I wouldn't say I can't, it's just that, no, it's more the kind of like the challenge is, is at that, at that time I can't, I'm not strong enough to take that challenge on in a kind of Bloomian sense or whatever, but Mm. I'm, I'm, I always kind of like hold those things as kind of like, I don't think anything's off limits, usually, I mean it is hard to write pedophile poetry, but... (laughs) Um, and I suppose I've had my pokes at it, but, um, (laughs) if there's something that, there's something that obsesses me that I can't do, I will hold on to it till I can. Yeah. You're right. So we'll just see if I can actually take on Dancing Queen successfully or not I'm very excited um you read a you read us a poem at a sick leave event maybe going on like December I think it was and I really wish I could remember the title but it basically took on the entirety of like the English literature canon starting with um John Donne and like or possibly even earlier than that so Chaucer Chaucer, yes, right. What was the title of that poem again? It's called Adjectival or the English Canon. Adjectival, that's right. Oh, it's, yeah. Um, where is that one? Is that in Family Trees? It is in Family Trees. Oh, it was a late minute inclusion. That's great. Some axing happened and a poem about axing went in, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess for the benefit of people who who wouldn't have heard that, which would be most people, I guess, um, it's a poem in which each successive, uh, this is my stab at explaining it, um, each successive figure in the canon is killed by the 
previous one or the next one? That's the basic plot. Yeah. Except the, it's a little, it's, it's, it's like actually ch- more complicated than that. Right, okay. Yeah. But it's like a chain of murders, basically. Yeah. But okay. um, what I did as an extra complication, which you probably wouldn't even notice reading it, or and certainly not hearing it, is that the actual poets, the poets who were actually murdered in real life, uh, die of natural causes <laughs> in the poem. Right. So I swapped it around. Oh, okay. Oh, that's awesome. Like Marlowe, okay. for example, okay. um, Sydney mm. was killed in battle. Um, so they get to have quiet, natural deaths. It ends with Owen, who was also murdered by whoever you want to say, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, that poem in particular, but all your work really is kind of going back to what we were talking about before, you know, what you use the phrase, what the books I've read over the last two weeks. In my mind, you are like more than a voracious reader, like you're just always reading. Is that accurate? Uh, I don't feel like I read that much in, in a way. Really? Like, I mean, reading is a, you know, I read a lot. I do read a lot, but I mean, there are hours a day when I'm not reading. <laughs> this time when you're not reading. <laughs> so, you know. That is, that says everything. And I don't feel like, I wish, you know, I feel like I don't have the energy to be voracious. Like, uh-huh. I'm more like persistent or something. I think. Um, just so, just like a um, everyday. Every day, setting a time, setting aside time, and mm. whatever you know. Um, I don't have too many other. Um, what's that word? On uh, my time. What uh, uh, yeah. What is the word? Um, demands. On demands on my time. Yeah. Um, at the moment, um, yeah, but one thing, I mean, one thing about that poem, uh, reflects, I mean, a lot of, a lot of poems that say aren't, uh, pop music poems are, reflect a lot of biographical reading that I've done. Oh, okay. And increasingly literary history as well. Okay. Um, I read a lot of biographies, and so that helped. That sort of like helped me early on to just kind of like. I don't. I mean, I. I don't just allude to writers in a kind of quotey way, or as some sort of, um, or as as authors, I suppose, mm. like. I've read a lot, a lot of the time they are sort of like quasi-characters. Yeah. And I feel, I don't think about doing that because I, yeah, because I have a sense of them as characters through reading biographies. Mm. Um. Yeah. That's really interesting that, that um, biography is, is a constant for you. Um, it was part of like trying to kind of part of my um, trying to understand what living a life as a poet could possibly be when I had no 
idea about it and didn't come from any kind of literary or literary or academic or writerly background and that I hadn't even done literature as an undergrad so it all felt very obscure to me this idea of a contemporary writer and I just started reading poetry poets biographies yeah yeah that's exactly um how I experience biography as well it's like it it gives you uh, a map to this terrain that is just like totally you know no one's going to tell you how to be a poet <laughs> except it te- teaches you how to be a poet in mid mid 20th century right it's a different <laughs> you know like someone's cooking your lunch and cleaning your house um, yeah you're drinking you're drinking you're drinking <laughs> Smoking and drinking. Um, yeah. So you didn't study literature? Uh, not, not technically. Like, okay. I mean, I because I did creative writing mm-hmm. degree. And so, the, I mean, there's, you know, it's a blurred, it's a blurred distinction. But yeah. um, I wasn't writing essays or reading scholarship on literature. Um, so that made it tough when I decided to do literary studies as a graduate mm. many years later. What, um, at what point in your life was that? Um, 2003 I did a grad, postgrad diploma. Right, okay. Which led to a master's, which led to a PhD. Um, and does it feel now, having done that sort of study and uh, that the like the house of poetry is like welcomes you, like you're oh my part God. of it? Yeah, what a question. What do you mean? What a question. What do you mean? Well, though, I guess what I mean is, so for me, because I haven't done that study and I don't really foresee myself doing it, although as soon as now that I've said that, maybe I will, but um. I guess I, even though I do this work and like heaps of other stuff, I still sort of feel on the outside. You're an influencer, Alice. An influencer. What an accusation. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, okay. (laughs) I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wonder about like where you see yourself in the, um, yeah, I guess I just I'm using that term like the house of poetry in, in instead of saying the scene, which is such a horrific and gross term. Maybe it's like the swimming pool of poetry or whatever. Okay, swimming pool. Yes, I like that better. <laughs> um, That's good. But yeah, it's probably yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to start making terrible um, breaking down that into terrible mini metaphors um, <laughs> but I was suppose I was thinking about uh, maybe an easier um, way to kind of approach this is to ask about um, Bombala because <laughs> you mentioned Bombala a lot in your in your um, biographies and it comes up in your poetry as well and I wonder about how you how you think about that place and where you came from and where you are now here in Melbourne. That's where I learned to swim. 
right. <laughs> I didn't know you're a swimmer. Uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm a lap swimmer, yeah. Okay. And I am really wish, wish, wish wishing that I lived n near a beach. Yeah. Under these particular trying times yeah. when the gyms are closed, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking of going to Newcastle, but um, mm. for my launch. But um, it's a very big question as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose. I mean, I think if you don't come from. Uh, any kind of literary culture or scene or kind of access you can basically kind of build up enough momentum if you to keep you going through the rest of your life or something I think um, because you just kind of like we just arrive with so much need or something yeah yeah just sort of ready to burn through everything if not voraciously then steadily yeah. and that's sort of like typical of I think in some ways of people from the country or people from other states who come to Melbourne who want more or I don't know I mean it's you know like I'm talking about pre-internet era as well mm. where um, it was very hard to get satisfied um, you know there's just like countdown rock arena ordering records on um, mail order getting yeah, records order, on mail yeah. order I'm talking just talking about music our library which I tend I read kind of like fiction lots of just sort of above average novels I guess mm. middle brow novels um, but you know I mean I, I'm not saying that I didn't have culture of course we had culture we had yeah bush culture and I had um, you know Catholicism which uh, is another thing that I that certainly goes right through my poetry up and down mm. I mean, I think that, I think it's normal, but I feel like, oh, not too many of my peers, you know, write about Jesus in a kind of, well, I guess Jesus is a character in my poetry as well yeah. as Mary, etc. Yeah. I have an easy familiarity with those narratives, I suppose. Mm. Do you remember in, you know, reading books in your local library, do you remember... Um, early encounters with poetry or encounters that made you think maybe this is something you wanted to do yourself? I started writing poetry um, for some reason, something triggered me to write poetry when I was seven or some eight or something. Um, I had little th just, I mean I guess just from, maybe I was reading too much then. Mm. Because I tended to just like uh, moon about the place sort of on my own or among the chooks or whatever. So I would just be thinking and I, for some reason start up making 
you know, philosophical problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also like um, hymns sort of went in there, mm. and I I published a poem, in The Catholic Weekly, when I was in grade two or four or something, maybe grade four, which was, yeah, like hymn-based. I, I mean, I don't really remember doing poetry, although I'm sure that we did do some poetry at school. I just don't remember it. Right. Uh, the picture you're painting is one of, like, yeah, once you got to... Did you move to Sydney first or to Melbourne? No, I moved to Canberra. To Canberra? Oh, no way. I didn't know that. How long were you there for? Um, kind of, I guess, like, five years okay. with a break. Yeah, right. And then from there to down here? To Melbourne. Yeah. To Melbourne. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, the picture you're painting is one of somebody who, yeah, once you got here, you would have been, like you said, ready, really ready to go. Yeah, but, you know, like, there was nothing, it was, it was actually like a fairly static time and I kind of, I don't know if it was entrenched, but, you know, like, there wasn't much publishing happening. Yeah, right. You know, like, I was writing poems constantly and publishing more and more but you know my first book came out the end of 2002 after 13 years or whatever of constant trying wow. <laughs> you know of wow. writing I mean yeah did you um, submit manuscripts to a lot of publishers before you got that there weren't a lot right, to submit okay. to right but yeah I had tried a few times yeah yeah so I guess when you look at publishing now, in 2020, there must just be such a huge contrast. Yeah, it seems very active yeah. um, in contrast. And there are, there are just a lot, a lot of younger poets around. Mm. Um, there didn't seem to be then, and there certainly didn't... There wasn't kind of like any kind of um, embrace of the kind of poetry that I was doing either I don't know like I was sort of influenced by language poetry a bit I suppose and certainly by Gertrude Stein but um I didn't I felt like I didn't really have peers I suppose yeah well I had kind of like uh I had peers in the sense of like uh sympathetic people um but there wasn't sort of like any sense of There being any cu- cultural scene or kind of like dialogue or whatever. Whereas I don't know if there is now, really. But um, well, that's what I was going to ask. Does it feel different now? It seems like there are a lot of people who whose poetry can be related to each other or something like that. To me, mm. I don't want to put my foot in it or whatever. <laughs> but um, no, there's just a lot more. So it's in, it's inevitable. I didn't really feel like that till much later, till after I'd published books. Mm. And then I started to kind of, in a way, talk to people in poems, I think. Yeah, right, yeah. When you look at, at the poetry world as it is now, what excites you? What makes you feel like, oh, this is, I'm glad this is happening? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Um, 
pause for that one. I, I mean, I wouldn't know how to answer this question. Um, but I'm asking you. <laughs> I mean, one thing I suppose is that it's still limited in a way, but I think there's increasing um, exchange between parts of Australia. Um, and I didn't really have a sense of that in the 90s or... Yeah, there was a, really wasn't even... My, my impression was there wasn't really that much exchange between Sydney and Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there could be a lot more, certainly between the East and the West. Partly that is the internet and, and cheap flights, etc. Yeah. You know, that may have ended as of a week ago a week or ago. something. <laughs> yeah. Changing direction entirely. I did want to ask you about Ashbury Mode because that is uh, what ostensibly I contacted you to talk to you about. Um, when did you decide to to bring that collection together? I mean, it was must have been around two thousand and nine. It was. I don't know if it was after I finished Out of the Box or or in the closing stages in the way that when you're finishing a PhD, for example, and that's something most people only do once, yeah. is that they start thinking about all these projects that they can do now that they're not doing a PhD. Right. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I know it was around then anyway that I started um, asking people for poems and I... I had no idea. So it's been like a decade in the making. Yeah, it's a, it's a 10-year project which definitely um, was on pretty, it was like in a coma I suppose for a lot of that time. Wow. Um, and I kept thinking should I just do it as a magazine feature? Would a publisher poet publish it in Australia? Would it, you know, would it sell at all considering, you know, like if you, considering I had so many contributors I just thought, well when I give out these contributor copies are they going to be you know they're going to be sales or whatever um and you know i was i had hoped to publish it before ashbury died but um you know it was it was going to happen he was over 90 um did you have any contact with him around the anthology no not no no but susan schultz i i mean it's quite random really because i did susan schultz posted something on facebook um, when he died about being interested in manuscripts and I took her up on it but I could easily have never seen that post you know I'm not yeah. that attentive yeah well yeah that's um, kind of beautiful when that happens isn't it and she was positive um, and I suppose I thought that would be great in terms of like providing access to an American audience but most of the interest has been here and we've, I've had, yeah, I mean, it's been getting great critical reception. Mm. And the contributors have been very generous as well. A lot of contributors actually did buy their own copies. Yeah, yeah. It finally had its fruition after yeah. so many years. That must be an incredible feeling. It's like, yeah, it feels like a trick in a way. A trick? Yeah. It's like, you know, if you just wait, the right thing will happen. And I just think, like, yeah, well, I could have been dead as well. You know, I could easily have died before <laughs> it came out. Oh, my God. Well, I suppose that's true. Why Ashbury in particular? 
Um, oh, well, I guess, yeah, I mean, I went through a very obsessive... Well, actually not very, I mean, only relatively obsessive phase with Ashbury, I suppose around that time, um, when I... Okay, well, there's a few threads to this. I mean, I was never, in a way, as obsessive with Ashbury as I was with Gertrude Stein. Um, but I used dice for composition for many years. Huh. Wow. Um, which came from reading Cage's biography. Right, right. And so I used dice as a kind of eaching equivalent mm. for many kind of compositional yeah, moves or whatever. And then after a few years, I felt the need to move on from that. And so I started writing poems where I didn't need to have dice with me. I mean, I did... I did travel with dice and I did write poems even on aeroplanes using dice sitting in a row with with people just like refusing to notice or whatever <laughs> or just bored or not not interested or whatever but um no one ever asked me in public what I was doing so it's dice throwing dice to and, write and a source text no no using dice to I like I'm writing a poem and I'm just using dice to determine line breaks or oh, or no word length word have words per line or where to put punctuation ah, or you have no idea how long my reading group discussed why you made certain decisions around line breaks oh <laughs> well not in, not in i love poetry not in i love poetry okay right yeah. dice are well behind me either okay right so those those uh that it's been a long legit. journey, the line break slash punctuation journey. But yes, yeah, I need to ask you about that's that. That's another. That's another episode, probably. That's a whole other hour. Yeah. But um, <laughs> no, I could probably sum it up. But um, I mean, I go through lots of, I guess, formal phases, and a lot of them are ten. A lot of them are quite short, but with dice, I do that for a long time, and then. I somehow hit on the idea of copying um, the form of a poem through copying the n- number of words in the line and the punctuation. Wow, that sounds so fun. So I'll be writing the poem, but I'm also, I've got this poem by my side that's determining the word count and the punctuation. Right. And of course you can't like draw a rigid line like that. You can't say, oh, I'm just taking, because you are, because I, well, you know, when I'm writing, I'm like, when I'm writing it and I'm sort of like in that sort of active, absorbing kind of um, mode, I'm sort of like also influenced, of course, by the content of the poem, yep. the tone of the poem. And I might, you know, I don't, I don't, even, I don't remember if I had a rule about it or anything. But I probably did take a word or two or whatever. But I was never, was n- not about. Maybe I was actually kind of strict about not taking words, but because um, I didn't want it to be. Uh, I was quite excited by the idea that you could kind of like take that and it wouldn't be appropriation. It yeah. wouldn't be. Yeah. But it gives you so much. But you're just taking. Yeah. You're taking half the poem, basically, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but, also but no not. one's going to notice or yeah. 
or complain or mm. or um, call you a plagiarist mm. or whatever. Mm. You so took cool. all my commas or whatever. <laughs> but um, anyway, so I yeah. I just did that. Uh, I did that for a, quite a ser- quite a lot of Ashbury poems. That was like the peak Ashbury moment, and they went into the chapbook then park. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Um, and they were mostly from one book. Um, Where shall I wander? Mm-hmm. I don't know that one, I'm afraid, but yeah. And one at least from Hotel Lautremont. Okay. Yeah, and there were a f- there were. A, I tried a few other things like there was there were some Coleridge poems and I did some with I did like a bibliography poem where I just took the form of a bibliography but I wrote a poem so I, I used a lot of wow. other texts not necessarily um, po- poetry yeah and they I guess they're probably what survives of that uh, phase is probably mainly in Open Sesame I think okay that's so fascinating. I can't wait to go home and, and look at it again. And yeah, like, yeah, it just seems like such a, a fun way to approach structure and and content, I guess. And just, yeah. I mean, in a way, it was just like another phase of learning how to write a poem. Yeah, you know? like yeah. Like you yeah. just feel like, oh well, I'm I'm doing what this poet did, and yeah. which is kind of in a way. Well, actually. Now I remember that it started with me kind of like going, uh, I'm going to write a more, f- a more, not formal sonnet, but a more, a sonnet that relates to the sonnet more technically. Mm, mm. Because I went through this, I had this mini Berrigan phase, I suppose, and um, I re- was reading his sonnets and they're kind of like cut up y. Um, and not linear so I was writing poems where they're 14 lines long and I'm just thinking of them as sonnets but not caring and but also sort of feeling like oh they're a bit habitual how can I how can I make them a bit more alive or something and so I would uh I don't know exactly how this relates to Berrigan, but it does to me in my mind that I would take, I would sort of, I would number the lines or or, t- or take a point in the middle of the poem and decide, oh, okay, the poem starts here. So the poem starts at line seven or whatever. And so I would then take the top half up to the bottom half. And I would, that seemed to work Actually, I was surprised how often it just seemed to work where I would just find a new point in the poem and it seemed more alive because it didn't didn't start like a beginning yeah. and it didn't end like yeah. an end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I moved to the next phase of trying to write a sonnet or whatever, I wrote... These are in Open Sesame actually as well. The kind of... I wrote sonnets copying... Um, Edna St. Vincent Millay. Oh, wow, okay. And so, at first, when I wrote the sonnets, uh, the Millay ones, um, I didn't really care that much about where the punctuation landed. Like, I would just write the poems, and I didn't care if 
semicolon was in the middle of a phrase or whatever because that it sort of made it it added an extra sound quality and you know like people find my poems very disjunctive but for me I'm like you know I'm right I'm writing them and I'm rereading them over and over again and to me they're not disjunctive you know they're just not they're they're normalized for me and they mm. and they're no more disjunctive than than music that we take for granted um, all the time so um, so but then but the more I did it the more kind of the more that I could just use the original line in a kind of more that they became more natural sounding mm-hmm. because it became more adept at just writing to the punctuation mm. I suppose and the word count and so I kind of yeah yeah what was sort of like agreed in a way at first became more like a a game or something did you miss that when you moved away from it, it sounds like something that once you went back to just writing you know without that you would feel sort of a bit lost maybe oh well I've I can't actually remember what the next phase is. I probably have to go and look at my books or n- notebooks or or um, lost files. <laughs> um, I've always had some props. Right. No, I've n- I've never. I've very rarely tried to do free verse. I've experimented with free verse. But it doesn't feel very natural to me. Right. Um, so, you know, like, uh, mostly I am concerned with uh, my, your Microsoft Word ruler, for example. The actual measurement of how far across... How many centimetres the centimeters? line is. Yeah, that's my basic oh. formal tool. Seriously? There you go first heard on poetry says <laughs> I'm an influencer guys um, <laughs> uh, that's fascinating does it, okay so I have a million questions I want to ask you about that um, I thought this was just going to be a little nah, side interview it's nah, turning into um, nah, it's a deep dive um, was that were you using that tool in writing I love poetry and also family trees Yes. Okay. And what is the what is the rule? Like is there a is it sort of like this first line has to be this many centimeters wide and then the next one because they're not all the same length otherwise it would just be a box. I guess you know what 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 are the analogies? Like you know like I mean titles are titles rule, titles pretty much rule everything, but they they don't suggest that much about form they'd say just the concept so um, but the lieutenant or the whatever of the poem is the first line I suppose in a way Mm. and so often that is the guiding like I come up with the first line and that guides the form for the rest so it may be consistent 
with the first line or it may be in variation with the first line but so yeah it'll be like the first lines eight and a half centimeters then the rest might be eight and a half centimeters also okay all right I see but I have different rules about how to break and what's allowed yeah yeah that changes yeah well I mean that's that's the beauty of of having a constraint like that too isn't it it's like that moment where you realize oh I have to break this because I really want to achieve this this thing in the next line and it's not going to fit with the pattern or whatever the constraint I've set up for myself so mm, that's not how I think really okay um, no it's more that I get bored for one thing right <laughs> and you know like and, and also because words don't well yeah I mean well words of course don't just fit centimeters so you either allow a breaking of a word or you have gaps or so I, I mean I do both those things but there's also re- revision which I mean that becomes interesting when you're revising poems and you've got this particular pattern and then if you're keeping to the original pattern then that means the lines will change the ho- in the whole poem because I mean I'm doing this all the time where I'm kind of like uh, okay I've decided that phrase is too shitty and it's going and now I've brought up the next few words in the line below and that's and so I'm just going through the whole thing and then maybe and now I'm sort of been using now I'm using stanzas which is kind of like a radical breakthrough or something yeah you know, like, no it's very it's very that's very know, like, different like like everybody else was doing when I was starting to write poetry but now I'm doing it too um so then that means that maybe I just change what all the stanzas are because I've got a different number of lines left or, or maybe I fill it in, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's, you know, it's not that unusual probably. Um, well, maybe not, but it is, it is really fascinating to get this kind of like insight into this, the structural side. Yeah, like I'm not necessarily editing a line within the context of the line. I mean, it's, Align within the context of the whole yeah. form of the poem. Yeah, right. Like it is kind of some kind of sculpture, bead sculpture or something. Yeah, yeah, like an abacus. Yeah. That's wow. That's amazing. Um, I'm really conscious that I've made you sit on the ground for over an hour now, but there's one last thing Among that I wanted to ask you about. Shit. Yeah, it's a lot of yeah. There's been a possum in this tree. Um, um, I want to ask you about launches because you and I are both in this strange position now where we've both just cancelled our own book launches. Yours was going to be on 22nd of April, mine was going to be last Saturday. That's uh, for Melbourne listeners. Right, for Melbourne listeners, sorry, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, you, had, you had a Newcastle and a Sydney launch, which both are also not happening. Yes. Yeah, and you know, we're, we're two amongst many poets that this has been the decision that we've made. I wanted to know uh, if you have any particular feelings around the having to cancel them, what you think about what it might look like 
if and when you do launch family trees and also just launches in general because when I, I I don't go to enough stuff but whenever I do get out of the house and go to something you're always there and so I feel like you must have thoughts on like what makes a good launch <laughs> uh, tough question tough question in a way I mean it doesn't seem easy to uh shift the format or something but um, I decided for my Newcastle and Sydney launches that rather than having a speech I would have a kind of conversation oh wow that would be great Um, so it was going to be with Ivy Island in Newcastle for the festival and then with Nick Keys at Glee Books in Sydney. Oh, beautiful. Um, so, those particular things I would like to happen, but I so I just don't know how soon, obviously, or or in what format, whether they'll end up being um, live events or recorded events yeah. or whatever. Now, um, I didn't have anything planned like that for Melbourne. Melbourne was going to be a launch speech read. No, there was no speech planned, actually. Oh, okay. You were just going to read. I was going to read. I was hoping uh, Harry and Gareth might come up with a joke or two and... That would be unprecedented. They've never been funny. Um, (laughs) My friend James, who I've written a couple of songs with, is going to play. Oh, beautiful. So, you know, there are online possibilities for presenting the book in some way, but I, I don't know, I'm just, I suppose, I feel like, let's see how the curve goes well, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we're days <laughs> into this Yeah, it's situation. very early on. Yeah, yeah. People, I mean, I generally think people will feel too much pressure to make launches happen immediately um, whereas I don't think it has to happen immediately um, it's a gathering it's uh, it's I mean it's an opportunity to sell books I mean that's that's kind of the main reason I think I do it yes well yeah um, it's also a chance to go okay this is to, to give a reading that is like just from this one place and when I'm if I'm invited to do a reading I tend I'm most I mostly read new poems um, like brand new poems so a launch is a sort of more curated kind of context I mean yeah it's self curated I guess so you can make it kind of like be I guess it's a chance to make it your event in a way that usually when you read you don't it's not your event it's it's the host's event Um, it's the reading series or or whatever it's the festival or yeah yeah so for people people who are keen to get their hands on these books that we've talked about Ashbury Mode Family Trees they can find them online yeah I mean Ashbury Mode you can get it online I think there's yeah not too expensive if you go to like 
um, book go or book depository or whatever um, uh, if you're in Australia or you know me or whatever um, I have a handful um, yep. you can get one off me yep. that's the cheapest way yeah uh, family trees you can get from Girondo's website, but um, depending on when this airs, it should be in the shops any day, I think, like, or at least certainly by the end of March. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, yeah, so support the bookshops, I guess. Yeah, support the bookshops. And if you don't feel like, yeah, and if you're not uh, going on the street or going outside, you can order it from the bookshop yeah. website. Yeah. Thank you, posties. Thank you, posties. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me in such a weird time. It's very pleasant under this tree on it's George good, Street. It's a good tree. And um, I just watched somebody get a what looked like a very expensive parking ticket. That was fascinating. These are all things that I are didn't part see of the that, conversation. I'm oh, not he took a lot the of photos of that car. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Alice. Nobody can drag me down. Nobody, nobody. Nobody can drag me down.